thank you so much. That was beautiful. You can take your seats. I hope you have your Bible tonight because I've got a scripture that I'd like for you to underline in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible tonight, you need to look this scripture up at some point of your week. And it's a scripture that I really feel strongly for you specifically at this youth group that you need to look into and remind yourself of as you go through this next season of your life. I do recommend you memorizing this verse. But it's found in 1 Timothy. And I read when I was praying and I was like asking the Lord for a scripture for a word for tonight. Not just a teaching that I've preached before or just coming up with something that I already had prepared, but I said I really wanted something to share with you that I could say came out of a place of prayer, and it came out of a place of fasting before the Lord. So what I'm about to read to you is not a light word. It's something that I really feel strongly for you. It's found in 1 Timothy, and it's in chapter 4, chapter 4, and it's verse 12, and the Apostle Paul in Timothy is addressing a young man who was pastoring one of the largest churches at that time. His name was Timothy, and here's what Paul says to him in verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want to talk about what Paul is saying to young Timothy because we can apply these exact words to each one of us in this room tonight. He says, let no one despise your youth. We're in a age right now where even in schools and sports, wherever you find yourself, there's a lot of comparisons that we can make. Social media also has fed into this mindset of comparisons. And even a, a bad competing spirit where we look at each other on social media or we look at each other on the sports field or we look at each other in our school setting, or maybe even in our family setting, and we're comparing ourselves. I'm not as talented, I'm not as muscular, I'm not as smart, I'm not as passionate, I'm not as pretty, I'm not as handsome, I'm not as rich. And we have a lot of this going on on the inside of a lot of people. And they lash out at others. It, it creates anger inside of them. It creates tension inside of them. It causes division in families. It causes division amongst friendships. It causes division even amongst sportsmen that are involved in soccer or football. When you give yourself over to comparisons and a competitive spirit comes into you and you start looking at others as if they are better than you and you are not as good as them, then you start getting jealous of them. 
So when, when you see someone do well, when you see someone do good, instead of you being inspired and asking them, how did you get there? This comparative spirit, this competitive spirit comes on the inside and you finger point, you tear down, and you find it really difficult to celebrate and honor someone else because you're jealous. See, when, when you're given over to despising something about you, you begin to look at what other people have that you don't have, not with inspiration, but with jealousy. So when you're listening into a preacher, you're thinking, I can preach better than him. Or when you're listening into a teacher, I can teach better than them. Or maybe it's the opposite. I'm not as good as they are. And you despise who you are. You despise your talent. You despise your gift. You despise your image. You despise your weight. You despise your facial features. There's something about you, and you just despise it, and you cover it up. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, because he was a young pastor at that time, and there was a lot of elders in that church, older men and older women, that were looking down on young Timothy like he doesn't know as much as they do. He's not as talented as they are. He's not as gifted as they are. He's got too much responsibility at his age. And, and Paul was coming alongside Timothy, and he was saying to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And the Lord is wanting to stay that into our hearts even tonight. What it is that we despise about ourselves, God is saying, don't despise that. Don't despise the family you were born into. Don't despise the car your mother drives. Don't despise the brands of clothing that you wear. Don't despise your lack of gifting or your lack of talent or your lack of ability. Don't despise your weakness because the scriptures clear from Genesis all the way through Revelation that God uses mankind not in our strengths and in our giftedness, but God uses us in our weakness and in our dependency upon him. It's all the way through the scripture. It even happened at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And when they had fallen and when they had sinned, God came near to them while they were yet in sin. God came near to Noah while the world was going chaos. God came near to David while Saul was destroying his country. God came near to the prophets when Israel were turning their backs on God. God came near to mankind when Jesus was born in a manger. Can you imagine the person that owned that manger thinking to himself, why did my dad get involved in agriculture? Why did my dad decide to raise animals? Why couldn't my dad have been born into a wealthy, prominent family that owned palaces and had all of this wealth? But a manger? And you can imagine how he felt not realizing Jesus was born born in a manger. God came through the Virgin Mary in a manger. What he could have been despising, God had turned it into something glorious. See, as believers, we have to guard ourselves 
from a false comparison and a false sense of competitiveness where we get jealous of one another because we despise what we are lacking. And you can preach all you want against certain immoral sins and you can preach all you want about certain behavior traits that are wrong. But let me tell you something. Satan did not get shot down like lightning to earth because he was watching Pornhub. Satan did not get shot down like lightning to earth because he was a murderer or a thief. Why did Satan get rejected from heaven and shot down to earth like lightning? It was because he was jealous of God's position. Jealousy inside of Satan took over him and he lost and fell from grace. Think about the first murder that we find in scripture. The first physical human death. And let's see why that happened. It's when Cain brought his offerings of grain to God. And Abel brought his unblemished lamb as a sacrifice. And God received Abel's sacrifice because Abel gave his best and gave his heart. Cain was holding back and giving not his best. And God embraced Abel's sacrifice. What happened with Cain? He didn't go, wow, Abel, I need to be more like you. I'm inspired by you, Abel. I want to minister to God like you do. Abel, do you mind like talking to me about how your sacrifice was accepted and mine was not? Hey, Abel, can you counsel me on that? No, Cain didn't do that. Cain saw the favor on Abel's life and Cain grew jealous. And when jealousy is not convicted of in your heart, when jealousy is allowed to go on inside of your heart with no restraint, it will lead to murder. It will lead to murder. Think about the two kings that were selected by God to rule Israel, first with Saul and then secondly with David. Look at how Saul treated David with jealousy. Saul couldn't celebrate that David killed Goliath. Saul couldn't celebrate that David was slaying Philistines and pushing back the enemies of Israel. Saul couldn't rejoice when the people honored David for his military strategy and victory. No, Saul was jealous and wanted to kill David with a spear. Jealousy. Jealousy will kill you. Jealousy will cripple you. And a lot of jealousy is rooted in when we are despising something about us. Satan despised who he was, even though he was in second command over all of the angelic hosts of heaven. He was one of the closest to God. The Bible says that he orchestrated the music of heaven, yet he still was not fulfilled. 
Yet he still could not be at peace. Because jealousy will make you despise what you got to the point where you want to take what somebody else has, even if it means murder. Think about the physical body when Paul is writing in Corinthians and he's speaking to the church and he's talking to the church as a body and he's saying to the church as a body, if your eye gets jealous of your foot, the body's not going to function right. If your hand gets jealous of your kidneys, it's going to be very insecure. No matter how much your hand wants to be a kidney, it's not going to be a kidney. I mean, you can try to put your big toe right there where your nose is at, but you're not going to have a sniffer. And if your nose is down there where your big toe is at, you're going to smell dirty feet all day long. See, the physical body functions best when it works in unity and together. But when it gets jealous of itself, it gets cancerous. It gets disease. It starts breaking down. When our body starts turning on itself and our autoimmune system begins to turn on itself and we internally fight each other, what happens within our bodies will end up in a hospital. It's when our body functions together, when the kidney is happy being a kidney, when the liver is going, thank you, Jesus, I'm a liver, when the intestines are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when the feet are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when no one's looking at each other with jealousy and competitiveness and comparison, but they're just functioning in the part that they're in, it becomes a healthy body. My concern right now is that if we give ourselves over to what we despise about ourselves, if we give ourselves over to jealousy, if we give ourselves over to false comparison, if we give ourselves over to a false competitiveness, we'll end up becoming murderous, murderous in our words. We'll become hateful. Do you struggle celebrating somebody else? Do you struggle encouraging somebody else? How does it make you feel when someone does better than you? How does it make you feel when someone looks better than you? You see, friends, when we have the Spirit of God at work in us, we know who we are in Christ. We know that the part that God has put us in is where God wants us to be. And we want to be only where God wants us to be. We don't want to be where God doesn't want us to be. If God doesn't want us behind the pulpit, don't go there. If God doesn't want you running a business, don't run it. If, if God doesn't want you marrying him or her, don't marry them. If God doesn't want you to drive a fancy, fast car, don't drive it. Follow God and find your peace in him. I had a friend growing up in junior high, and he loved cars. And I remember in high school, he was able to get a car, a really fast one, and he saved up a lot for it. And he was out on a Saturday just who knows what speed he was doing. 
and he wrecked his car. His entire life was built on, I want to get this car. Well, he got it, he wrecked it, and he's in a wheelchair to this day because of it. There are things in this life that we crave, our flesh wants. If I could just get that new iPhone 13 Pro, the Max edition. If I could just get that new Xbox, if I could just get that new PlayStation, if I could just get to that zip code, if I could just work my way up to get that promotion. But we're not including God in any of it. We're not including God in any of it. We're not asking God even a second of time, God, do you want me to have that phone? God, do you want me to get that type of education? God, do you want me to marry that person? God, do you want me to go in this direction for my life? If we don't start including God in this type of place in our relationship with him, we're going to end up in a mess. I don't care how godly someone is. I don't care how godly it looks. Did God call you to it? Oh, but he believes the word of God. He's got to be a good Christian. If God hasn't called you to it, run from it. Don't be led by your passions. Don't be led by your senses. Don't be led by your, your, your emotions. Don't be led by your feelings. Don't be led by what you see. Our five senses will end us up with diabetes if we give ourselves over to it. Our five senses will end us up as addicts if we give ourselves to it. Our five senses will give us STDs if we give ourselves to it. Our five senses will give us cavities in our teeth if we give ourselves over to it. Our five senses do not have our best interest at heart. That's why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you deny your flesh. That's why, that's why the scripture talks over and over and over and over again about dying to yourself, saying no to what you want, coming down off the lordship of your own life and saying to Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus never said, go into all the world and make believers. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. There is a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. We've got a lot of people in Chicago that say they're believers. But their belief is just a mental ascent of knowledge. And the scripture says that knowledge in itself puffs up. We're not in this just to get accumulation of information. We're in this to be transformed. We are in this to encounter God. We're in this to do God's will. We want his will more than our own. We want his power more than our passion. We want his strength more than our sensuality. We want what he's got for us more than what we want for us. God knows what's best for us. Every time God says no, it's to protect us. Every law in God's book is for our protection. Someone said, oh, I don't want to follow Jesus because it's going to be miserable and depressing and boring. And I said, a life without HIV is not depressing or boring. 
A life without addictions is not boring. If, if you want to just give yourself over to what you want, watch where it will end you up. There will be a temporal satisfaction, a quick fix. But God has filled us in with the small print. We're drinking things that are so full of artificial stuff that if we knew what we were drinking, we'd just be drinking water. We're willing to put all sorts of things in our mouth, and then when it comes down to taking some vaccine, we're having a big issue with it, but what we're putting in our mouth is way worse than probably most vaccines we could ever get. We, 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 we become so caught up with so many different things. We get so caught up with all of these issues while we ourselves have been given over to jealousies and envies. And we're despising what's going on on the inside of us. And Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And then he moves on and he says, be an example. Be an example. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. As young men and as young women, your greatest words of advice at your age will be the way you live more than the words you talk. You can have all of the wisdom and sit down with me at your age and tell me all that you know, but you've never been married, you never got a mortgage, you don't pay your own bills, you know how to file taxes, you're not being through much education other than what you got right now. So if you really want to influence your mom and, and your dad, if you really want to influence your cousins and your neighbors, it's not going to be through your mouth. It's going to be through your life. Your life will speak more to your mom than your words. Your words mean nothing to them if you're not living it. You can debate and get into apologetics, but they know what you're watching on that cell phone. They, they know, they know, they're paying your bills. That toothpaste belongs to them. And you're in there telling them something that they know you don't even have the power to live. That's why Paul said to Timothy, don't, don't now as a young person try to think that you can just come in there with all these older people and put them all straight. No, he says, let no one despise your youth, but then in all things, by your example, your life will speak wisdom to them that they could never read in a book. And you might be the only Bible, you might be the only scripture they will ever read by the life you live. They may never pick up the Bible, but they might read your life. They might see what God is doing through you as a young man and as a young woman. I want you to know something about the apostles that really struck me. First of all, about the apostles. They were all below the age of 25 years old, and they were all older than the age of 14 years old. Most scholars would say, and historians that the apostles of Christ, based on when they physically died, 
that they were between the ages of 15 and 21. They say Peter was around 21, and they say the youngest was John, and they say he was around the age of 15 or 16 years old. That makes Jesus out to be a youth pastor. That makes our Lord Jesus be out to be a youth pastor. So when I get to go to youth groups, I get to remind the youth pastor, who's normally around 30 years old, do you realize that you are following the model of Jesus and that the people that you got around you are the same age group and demographic that Jesus had around him? There's value on the youth pastor. You know why youth pastor is important? I've got two kids. One is an amazing soccer player. He's eight years old. And I got a friend who used to play for the Argentina football team, soccer team. And he lives in Pensacola. He retired there and he trains my kids in how to play soccer. For six months, I worked with my son on a specific skill in soccer. On one night, the coach came over to my son and showed my son the exact same skill that I've been teaching my son for six months. And guess who my son gave credit to? Guess who my son learned the most from? Guess who my son still says to this day who taught him that skill? It wasn't me. It was the, it was the coach. See, youth pastors can speak sometimes better into your lives than your own parents can. For some reason, we learn better from outsiders than we do learn from our own. That's why when I come in here and I travel across the nation as an evangelist, sometimes it's easier for me to get up here and say some hard things, some things that might be more difficult. And you might walk into this lobby and say, wow, Adam, he wrecked my life. He, he, that was so powerful. Not realizing that your pastor probably was saying the same thing for the last six months. Can you imagine how that makes him feel? Imagine how that, I won't be there when you need me because I'm going to be in another state, but he will be here when you need him. We honor our pastors and we honor those that are committed to the people that are raising you up as disciples. But I'm here to tell you, watch out for jealousies. Watch out for envies. Watch out for your flesh that will try to rule your life and control your decision-making. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You can't say Jesus is Lord of your life when you're not including him in any of your decisions for your life. You can sing songs, you can lift your hands, you can pray in tongues. But why aren't you asking God about that relationship? Why aren't you asking God about your decision for your future? Why aren't you asking God about your ma next major purchase or what you're going to be doing with your life? People mess up because they will not bring God into their decision making. They're so given over to jealousy and so driven by their flesh that it becomes what drives them more than what God wants to drive them into. And he wants to take us to a destination that our flesh could never give us. Our conduct is important, which is basically the, the way we work and, and what we do. 
Our speech is important. Our love is important. Our faith is important. And our purity is important. These are things right here that Timothy is laying out. And he's saying, this will speak to the elders. This will speak to your parents. This will speak to your neighbors. The way you live this out before them will, be the, will draw them. It will be what shows to them that what you have to say is true. Do you know that out of the 12 apostles, not one of them graduated from the priesthood or the Sanhedrin. Not one of them graduated from being a Pharisee or a Sadducee. In fact, most of the apostles were either previous fishermen. They were either previous politicians like Simon the Zealot. They were either tax collectors like Matthew the tax collector. Even the one who helped pen the book of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts was a doctor. So most of those were actually from career backgrounds. Now think about it. The only one that really was a graduate from the Pharisee background or the Sanhedrin was the Apostle Paul. But out of all of them, he was the only one. Why, why am I saying this right now? I am saying this for this reason. I've met a lot of people in the United States, and what they want is full-time ministry. What they want is to work in a church, not realizing that if God doesn't want you there, you don't want to be in a church. Because Bathsheba's hang out in churches. And if you're not there because God's called you to there, you'll find a Bathsheba even within the church. See, King David fell into Bathsheba's arms because he should have been out fighting. He should have been out advancing the kingdom. But the delicacies of the palace drew him in. And he stayed longer than he should. And there's a lot of people that crave full-time ministry and crave to be in a church. Give them some time because they never included God in that decision. What happens to them? They get addicted to Bathsheba's on their screens. What if God was to call you tonight and say to you, your calling on your life is to become a carpenter or a plumber? What if God was to call here tonight and say, the calling on your life is to be a cashier at Walmart and work your way up through the levels of command to become a general manager of Walmart so you can influence the Walmart employees for the glory of God? No, in the West, we don't really celebrate that. Like One lady once came up to me and she said, Adam, I really feel like God's calling me to Indonesia to be a full-time missionary. And I looked at her and said, what if God called you to be a cashier at Walmart? Why, why are we so led to go to different countries and exotic places, but we won't do nothing where we're at? It, it looks like to me we're just on 
some type of high to get someone else to pay for you to go on a mission trip. What are you going to do there? Jesus is interested in where you are right now more than where you want to go in your future. And if we start bringing Jesus in on our right now, even in public school, even in the classroom that you're in, instead of pining for the next five years of where you're going to be, you're taking advantage of where you're at now for the glory of God. You're starting Bible clubs. You're inspiring Bible clubs. When I was in junior high, at that time in my class, in my year, there were suicides in Ireland. There was drug addictions in Ireland. There was alcohol addictions in my own class. There was girls in my class that wanted me so bad that they tried to get me in a classroom, just the two of them. And I walked out and I said, enjoy a life of STDs. I'm not going your way. I was getting so broken in my school, my heart was grieved over the state of the students, and the teachers were not knowing what to do, so they were bringing in motivational speakers and inspirational people of how they created and built amazing things, but it was all just going in one ear and out the other. And I never had anyone like TJ say, hey, why don't you start a Bible club? I didn't even know nothing about that. We didn't have those opportunities. Our church in Ireland never had that mission mind for that specific type of field. All we were doing is stuff all over the world, but we were doing nothing in our own sphere of influence. So I was the captain of the hockey team and the soccer team. I, at that time, I was actually handsome. I, I actually had muscles. At that time, I actually was very fit, very healthy, and I was doing really well at that time. And I was from a very well-off background. My mom and dad had money, so I had everything I wanted. We vacationed all over Europe. We did all sorts of great things. But from a young age, I had a conviction from the age of six years old when I gave my heart to Jesus that I'm following Jesus no matter what. And I remember in junior high, God speaking into my heart to start a church in my junior high school. So I went to the principal and I said to the principal, I want to start a church during recess. And, and she's like, well, what does that look like? I said, well, it's just me for now, but we'll have two songs and music and a Bible study. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to put your reputation on the line to do that? I said, yeah. Jesus put his reputation on the line to do what he did. So put it out there. So the principal got on the intercom of a school of around 800 students and said over and over, Adam Field is having church during recess today. And you're all invited. And all my friends in my class and some of the guys in the corridor started snickering. And started laughing. And I said, if you laugh at me again, you'll get a Holy Ghost fist. Because I said, the only thing that this school needs is Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be mocked. In fact, Elijah mocked 
the Baal worshippers and said, hey, Baal worshippers, is your God taking a leak? Because there's no fire coming down on the mountain. Maybe your God's too busy doing a number two. What's going on? I mean, Elijah mocked the Baal worshippers. Sometimes it, it's more than just being nice. Sometimes it's more than just being gentle. There are times you've got to say, listen, what you are doing is foolish. And it's going to kill you. And so for three weeks in this recess, I prayed, I fasted, I waited on God. Nobody came. Nobody and after three weeks, I was getting discouraged because nobody was coming. And on the fourth week, my biological brother, who was younger than me, some of my friends from soccer, hockey, and in my class, they all turned up to find out what is he doing in that classroom. They come in. I'm down on my knees because I was fasting for my school. And they see me on my knees, and they're like, what are you doing? And I stood up like I'm standing in front of you, and I preached the gospel. Cousins of mine were getting saved. Friends of mine were getting saved. I've graduated that high school back in 2003, and that same church is going on to this very day. That same, it's not run by any pastor in that city. It is run by the students, and it's been passed down from graduate student to graduate student to graduate student to graduate student to graduate student. And it's still going on. It's still going on. On Wednesdays, we would get a half day. And in Ireland, we wore uniform. We had a blazer and a tie and a white shirt. And on Wednesdays, our school was in the city center. And I'd take my group. We had no PA, no sound system. And we would stand up outside of McDonald's while they're all lining up. Our friends, classmates, and other schools are there too to get their McDonald's. We would stand up and preach the gospel. And there was one time I'm preaching about the prodigal son. And I'm talking about... If you give yourself over to this world, if you sell out your calling for pleasure, if you sell out your inheritance for your own selfish desires, I said, it's going to leave you empty. There's nothing in this world that will ever fulfill your soul. Nothing. And all of a sudden, one of the guys from another class in my school walks right up in front of me, and he drops his pants and his boxers and he stands there butt naked <laughs> right in front of me and he's like pointing at me like and everybody like there must have been a hundred students turning now giving me all of their attention so I'm like hey if the Lord can use a donkey to get the attention of Balaam the Lord's going to use this guy to get the attention of everyone else. So I said, this is an example of the prodigal son. This is what the world will do to you, embarrass you, shame you. Look at what this guy's doing to get your approval. I don't need to do that. 
to get my God's approval. One of the kids that had an ice cream sundae with caramel in it flung it right across the crowd. It hit the ground where he was standing and covered him, his legs and his private in ice cream and caramel. <laughs> he got what he deserved. Then I stood there and I said, this is what the world will do to you. You, you trying to be the class clown? You're trying to be the class clown. You're trying to fit in with the world. You're trying to fit in with the lost. You're trying to compromise your conviction so you can have friends. You know what the world will do to you? Spit you out of their mouth. They'll take your body, take your money, take your soul, take your semen, take everything you got until you're nothing. That's what this world will do to you. I've looked down into the eyes of Bloods and Crips and GDs, looked right into their eyes and told them, repent. There's no life in that gang. And two weeks later, they end up in prison. I'm on the intercom. Oh, it's Reverend Field is here to see you. And here they come, handcuffed to a little TV screen while I'm holding the phone and said, oh, you had to learn the hard way, didn't you? You know what they say to me? Every single one of them that I've visited in prison and in jail, that not one of their friends ever came to see them. Not one of their homies ever called up to check on them. Not one of their girlfriends was there to see how they're doing. Not one of their guys that they used to please we're sending in some tobacco or giving some cash so you can get something at the tuck shop. Nobody visited him, but the preacher did. Let me tell you something. You want friendship with this world? This world does not want a friendship with you. This world's your enemy. It may come across like it's your friend, but there will be a knife going into your back at some point. This world may seem like your friend, but it will take everything you got and leave you empty in the gutter. That's why we give ourselves to Jesus. That's why we find our value in Jesus. That's why we find our significance in Jesus. That's why we don't let anybody despise our weakness. Because Jesus loves us the way we are. We let no one despise our weakness. Because Jesus loves us enough to take us as we are. Sure, I got weak things about me. Sure, I got things I don't like about me. But Jesus has the power to make me strong where I'm weak. Jesus has the power to make me righteous where I sin. Jesus has the power to give me the capacity to do what I could never do. The world says, the earth is your oyster. God says, heaven is your oyster. The public school teachers will look at your grades and say, well, you got dyslexia. You're no good at reading. You're not good at, you're not good at math. The public school system, when, when it comes to graduating, they'll say, I don't know if anything good is going to come out of your life. You never really paid attention and you flunked everything. What's wrong with you? See, they'll look at you based on your education and determine your value. God looks at your soul and then sees the blood of Jesus and determines your value. We are not valuable to God because of our stature, our conduct, our behavior, 
Our soul is valuable to God because he shed his blood to purchase it. Our soul is so valuable that both the devil and God want it. That's how important you are. Not even the demonic host was given the gospel. Not even the devil was given the gospel. When they sinned, it was over. God never said, hey, Satan, will you repent? No, you sinned, you're out. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? Those fig leaves look uncomfortable. Let me put something on that's comfortable. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. That he cares about you in the body of Christ. Don't be comparing yourself with others. Don't get jealous of somebody else. Be who God's called you to be. Do what you're called to do, not unto the approval of man or a title from man, but because God told you to do it. Do it unto his glory. Do it unto his glory. Find peace vacuuming the floor. Find joy picking gum from underneath the chair. Find a celebration wiping someone else's pee off the toilet bowl because they can't get it in the... I've been there. I know what that's like. And the Lord says, if you won't be at peace where he's put you, you will never be at peace where you put you. If you're not at peace where the Lord puts you, you will never be at peace where you put you. The Lord is our peace, not our position, not our bank account, not our position, not our bank account. The Lord is our peace. And when we find our peace in him, he works a joy in us that this world could never give to us. The only way that this world can rejoice is when they tear somebody down. Sarcasm is the devil's humor, not God's humor. God's humor is never to tear you down. God's humor is always to build you up. But we got sarcasm that we tear each other down. We, we point out each other's faults. And we're supposed to be believers showing the world by our love for one another that he is true. But the world see the same competitiveness, the same comparisons, the same jealousies, the same envies. And they're thinking, what do you really got to offer? Talk? Talk's cheap. Let me see your life. Let me see your love. Let me see your encouragement. Let me see how you build up. Let me see how you champion somebody else. Let me see how you celebrate when someone does better than you. Let me see how you do good to those who despitefully use you. Let me see you love your enemies. Let me see you do what we can't do. Because we can all love our own. But loving our enemies, only God can do that in us. And that is what Paul is trying to say to young Timothy. Be an example. Let the light of God be seen in you. Even if it's not where you want to be. Ten years ago, I preached... A very similar message in New York City at a church in Harlem, New York. I went back to visit five years later, and a lady comes up to me. She's in her mid-30s. At that time, I was in my 20s. 
And she says to me, I just want to say thank you so much. And I said, what, for what? She said, I really struggled at school. I, I was not good at school. My parents were putting a lot of pressure on me to become what educationally I could not become. And she said, you were preaching about letting Jesus just be your all and including him and finding your direction from him. And I started doing that, she said to me. She said, I started out as a cashier at Target. And she said, I worked at that one job for two years as a cashier until I got a promotion to supervisor, until I got another promotion to assistant general manager. And she said, now I'm in a corporate position at Target and I'm able to do Bible studies. I'm able to open up my conferences with prayer. I'm able to share Jesus. Let me tell you something, friends. At that time, she was lost. She didn't know which way to go. And all she thought that the only thing she can do to serve God is to work in a church. But she didn't realize that souls need Jesus than most churches do. Sinners need Jesus than most ministries do. Don't just assume that when you're in ministry that you're actually ministering. Because the real ministering happens Monday through Friday on the job site where you're being a light for Jesus. That's where real ministry is engaged. And so I want you to know tonight that the calling of God that he's putting on you tonight may sound a little bit different than maybe what you're used to or maybe what you've been thinking. Maybe you've never even entertained the idea that I could be a nurse practitioner or I could be a botanist or, or I could be someone that works in management or I could start a business. But the, the truth of the matter is God has callings on our lives where it's not just in the ranks of a ministry, but it's actually connecting ourselves to the community so we can be a light where Jesus is needed the most. And it's sad to me to think that there are some people that can minister great in the house of God, but they can minister to nobody on their job site. It's sad to me that we can preach and we can teach, but when it comes to when it really matters, we're cowards and we don't open up our mouths. Anybody can preach to people who want to hear what they have to say. That's why we've got comedians that are leaving the show business to take churches because they realized they can be a great actor and have a great lifestyle off the church. That's why we got movie stars that are looking to pulpits thinking that's the place to be. We got music artists that, have, that are looking at pulpits and going, man, I want that. And they think they can buy it. They think they can just walk in with their wealth and their fame and take it. But they are a disgrace because they have no reliance on God. And it's really the worship of self. They've become lovers of themselves. And friends, I'm here to tell you tonight that God wants you to understand, let no one despise your weakness. Let no one despise it. Because in the sight of God, it is your weakness that makes God strong in your life. Can the worship team come up here? Let's sing that holy, holy song that we were just singing. Do you mind standing up? 
stand up all across this room. I really feel to share this with you tonight. Like God is putting a calling on someone in this room. And this is going to be a unique altar call here tonight. Because the altar call that Jesus gave to his apostles was for them to leave their careers, drop their fishing nets, walk away from being a tax collector, and to follow Jesus Christ. His calling was unique for the apostles. But the calling that Jesus is giving to our generation and to you all in this service tonight is Jesus is not calling you from those places, but Jesus tonight may be calling someone to those places, to the fishing industry, to the tax collecting, to the, to, to the carpenters, to, to the broken, to the needy. Tonight, Jesus is saying, I'm calling you tonight to something that is different than maybe what your flesh wants. You may not get the celebration of Christian denominations because you follow Jesus into the Walmart cashier business. You may not get the honor of man because you decided to follow Jesus in business. But let me tell you something. We don't do what we do for the approval of man. We don't do what we do for the acceptance of man. We follow God. And let me tell you something, friends. Joseph, at the right hand of Pharaoh, did more for his people than all his brothers who stayed at home. Let me tell you something. Daniel did more for his people while he prayed and sought the face of God in a wicked and evil city than he could have if he was back home in Israel. God allowed exiles for a reason. God allowed famines for a reason. God allowed tragedies for a reason. Because God knows how to get our attention. And just like my friend who got that fast car and wrecked it and ended up in a wheelchair. Tonight there's someone in this room and I warn you. I warn you from the Holy Spirit that if you keep desiring your flesh, if you keep desiring what you want, if you follow your passions, your sensuality, your desires, it will end you up in a wheelchair and worse. It will end you up in a gutter and worse. Not everyone in this room five years from now will be standing in a church worshiping Jesus. Some in this room will walk out and reject God at some point. Some in this room will betray God. Some in this room will take the mark of the beast. Some in this room will be one of the greatest deniers of Jesus Christ. How can you say that, Adam? Well, think about the 12 apostles. One out of the 12 let Jesus down. Look around you. Think about it. Who could it be? Is it you? Is it me? When Jesus at the Last Supper said... One of you will betray me. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Do you know what they said? They weren't thinking, oh, it's Judas. Judas is the one. Oh, he, Judas is definitely, he is the one. No. No, they were looking around. Judas could play the game church so well, no one knew what was going on in his heart, but Jesus did. Judas played church. He played his hands up in the air. 
He played singing songs. He played evangelism. He played preaching. He played everyone, but he couldn't play Jesus. You can't play Jesus. Jesus knows your cards. He knows your vices. He knows your secrets. He knows what's going on on the inside of you. And tonight, God is wanting to break in on the inside of you. God wants to break in on the inside of you. Your doubt, your rebellion, your shame, your jealousy, your hatred, your comparison, your competitive. Jesus wants to break in on us. Break in on us. When he breaks in on us, he brings life. And he fills us with the spirit where rivers of living water flow out of our mouth. Life comes out of our mouth. Hope comes out of our mouth. Encouragement comes out of our mouth. Edification comes out of our mouth. Building up the body comes out of our mouth. Excitement comes out of our mouth. Happiness comes out of our mouth. Peace comes out of our mouth. Joy comes out of our mouth. Out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. You might be thinking, oh, this is a good message for so-and-so. I'm so glad they're hearing him preach. He needed a message like this. Be careful when you think those thoughts. Because your haughty spirit will trip you up. Your prideful heart will trip you up. Be cautious when you think you're beyond someone else. Just takes one decision in this room to end up in a rescue mission tomorrow. We are all one decision away. Every one of us, one decision away from being in an alley somewhere out cold because of a decision that we make. Humble yourself tonight. Say to God, no more games, no more holding back. I want you to have all of me, Jesus. I'm talking about going deep. I'm not just talking about Xbox, PlayStation, or going on the outreach tomorrow. What God wants is your heart, not your works. What God wants is you more than your stuff. What God wants is you more than your time. What God wants is you. He wants you. Open yourself to him. Let him have all of you. You will find a peace and a life that you could never have outside of him when you open yourself to him. When you say, Holy Spirit of God, search me, know me, try me, have your way in my life. I don't want to end up in a wheelchair because I was selfish. I don't want to end up with STDs because I let lust rule my life. I don't want to end up with kidney failure because I drank myself into it. I don't want to end up like that. These are good things to hear tonight, friends. Because the world doesn't give you the small print of the wages of our sin. The world just gives you the temporal goosebumps and the temporal high. But it leaves you empty. Close your eyes across this room tonight. If you're here tonight and you're like, Adam, I can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit tonight, you're in a very good place. Holy Spirit, send your conviction. Conviction of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. Holy Spirit, we never want to graduate from conviction of sin. Holy Spirit, keep your conviction upon us. Bring us back to our first love.
we don't want to grow callous we don't want to grow cold we don't want to look at small sin like it can't take us out holy spirit expose every area of us and we give you all of us we surrender everything to you tonight jesus we want your will more than our own we want your dreams more than our own we want holiness that satisfies the soul we want holiness in our lives we want holiness in our lifestyle we want our moms to get saved we want our dads to get saved we want our cousins to get saved we want our friends in school to get saved we want to make a difference we want to be a difference god we can't do it without you we can't do it without you tonight if that's you and you're like holy spirit conviction is upon me he's sending a call in my life I'm seeing clearly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm willing to lay down a relationship that's gotten too far. I'm willing to lay down things in my life that's consuming me. I'm willing to destroy PlayStation, Xbox, and even get a flip phone. A flip phone if I need to. There's someone in this room and the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to get rid of your smartphone and ask your mom for a flip phone. Holy Spirit saying, what's more important, your smartphone or your spiritual health? Holy Spirit in this room is bringing conviction, conviction of sin. Let his conviction have his way in you tonight. Take God seriously. Remember the apostles were young men. Remember Timothy was a young preacher and still as a young person tonight, your life is as important as those that are in hospice right now because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Let God in. Let God in and all of you tonight. If you're in this room and you can say, Adam, I don't want to end up like Judas. Adam, I don't want to end up like Judas selling out my Jesus for some silver and some gold. Selling out my conviction for some temporal pleasure that has a list of it small print consequences that are going to kill my life I want to come forward I want you to leave where you're at right now and I want you to take a knee not to me or to these worship people but we're going to take a knee to Jesus as a symbol once again of our surrender to say God have your way in me come forward right now publicly in front of your friends and say I'm coming forward whether they look at me different or not what they think of you is not as important as what you need from God right now and it's his conviction if that's you leave where you're at right now and say God I'm not playing games I'm not doing it in secret I'm not doing it in the hiding place but I'm coming out being real getting down on my knees and saying God meet me here meet me here let your conviction have its way in my life leave where you're at right now and get down on your knees you know what you need to be doing you know that you need to leave right now and come on up here. So I want you to leave right now where you're at. I want you to step out. Step out of that seat. Step out of that place. This is the safest place to step out into that type of relationship with God. This is the safest place to have brothers and sisters love on you. Welcome you. Say to you, you are never alone. You are never on your own. We are right in this with you. We're coming alongside you tonight. Let Jesus have all of you. I want Jesus to have all of me. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, 
I want you to come down to the front of this church right now. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, stay standing, looking on, waiting to sing a song. But if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, come down here to the front of this church right now. Is he Lord of your life? Stay there. If he's Lord of your life, come down here. Stay right up here. Everybody should be coming. If he's not Lord of your life, would you mind taking a knee if he's Lord of your life? Stand up if you're not walking in a righteous relationship with Jesus. Stay standing and be strong and be courageous. Some of you may need to stand back up. If you've not been including Jesus in your decision making, if, you, if you're with someone and you shouldn't be with them and you haven't prayed about it, you probably should stand back up. You can't play the Holy Ghost. Let his conviction come down upon you. Don't be a crowd follower. Be a Christ follower. If you're not including Jesus in your decision making tonight, if you're full of jealousy and envy, tonight is the night for the Holy Spirit to deal with it. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every student that's in this room tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, for those that are down on their knees right now saying to you, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I want you to start making decisions in my life. I want to start including you in every area of my life, in my speech, in my conduct, in my love, in my purity. I want you to have all of me. I want to see these types of transformations deep down in my life. Jesus, I don't want to be a talker. I want the power to live what you call me to do. you a question? Can I ask you a question? Is there a reason why you're standing tonight? Come up here. Come up here. Can you guys quieten down for a moment? What's your name? Erica. Brothers and sisters, we're about to welcome Erica with love and with grace as a sister. She stayed standing while some of you were playing games. She stayed standing while some of you just wanted to follow the crowd and get out of here tonight. Because she's got something more than what you got down on your knees. She's got conviction. She's got conviction. And her conviction is jealousy. Erica, I just want you to pray this simple prayer right now. Jesus, I repent of jealousy. Now, Jesus, come into my soul. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take me as I am, but don't leave me the way I was. I want to be like you, Jesus. Now, lift up your hands. Lift them up. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will seal the work that you are doing in our sister Erica's life tonight. You will seal the work of the Lord. She is bold and she is courageous. 
She is not a crowd follower. She didn't come tonight to sing songs and hear a message and get out of here. She came to do business with God. And God, you met Erica. All of this night is for Erica. All of this, you put all this together for Erica. God, I pray right now for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Baptize her now in the Holy Spirit. Let rivers of living water come up out of her soul. Immerse her in the Holy Spirit. Baptize her in the love of God tonight, Jesus. She is healed. She is clean. She is whole. She is free from jealousy. Erica, would you go take a knee right over here? Get down here. Take a knee with everyone else. Take a knee with everyone else. Listen, if you're here and you're listening to me tonight, and you know you should not be down on your knees right now, you should be standing up on your feet. Do you have the courage to get up off the ground and stand up right now and say, before I leave this place, as Jesus publicly laid out on a cross for me, I'm willing to publicly state my current need for Jesus in front of my brothers and sisters so I can be free from jealousy, so I can be free from sin. Come on, man. Father, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that you welcome a, this man of God to you. Lord, it's a man of God when we come to you honestly, when we're willing to say publicly, you know what, God? I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I need jealousy out of my soul. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I need lust out of my soul. 